0: i'm hoping the big 10 has to modify their system for us
1: <laughs> it's probably like getting great 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day i mean
2: we
3: say it all the time whether you know there's two types of turds you're a sinker
2: or you're a floater but you're still a turd right i mean
3: <laughs> um, we're we're we are about players and players playing the plays and not
0: necessarily the place welcome to the varsity club podcast my name is derek peterson i'm happy to be joined this week by Yale Varsity's Deputy Editor and Resident Roommate Expert, Aaron Sorensen. Aaron, how are you?
3: I'm good. If, if anyone's new and don't understand the roommate thing, it's going to be very confusing for them. But <laughs> long story short, I have taken an interest in players who live together after Tommy Armstrong and Jordan Wester can't live together because that was such a talking point on every television broadcast for so long because obviously it makes a difference if you can put the quarterback and the wide receiver in the same room they have to like each other Which just how it works everyone loves their roommates right
0: not necessarily no <laughs> did you like your roommates in college
3: I did I was very very fortunate that I had um, I'm not sure how I got out of it in the way that I did but I lived with some of my best friends all through college and they're all still my best friends so I couldn't tell you how it happened but I got very very lucky
0: I think after college I was told don't live with your roommates or don't live with your your friends be hard to not live with your roommates I was told don't (laughs) <laughs> don't have your friends be your roommates. And, um, I wish somebody had told me that before college, because I had my best friend is my dorm roommate, my freshman year. Um, and then he, uh, transferred schools that semester, not because of me, but other friends like to joke that it was because of me. And then, um, the, uh, the friend that I lived with junior and senior year, um, we, 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 we wore each other down. <laughs> um, it's I'm apparently a hard person to live with.
3: Uh, I I won't say that I was a perfect roommate by any means, but I will say my roommates, my freshmen, so my first three years of college when I actually either lived in the dorms or in my sorority house and was actually physically like living in one room with another person versus when I moved into an apartment and you have you know, your own space, so at least you can go close a door and get away if you need to, which I do think helps. Um, the roommates that I had my, my freshman through junior year of college were some of my best friends, but they were really easygoing, like just super, super easy to live with. Um, so I was, I, I'm not going to say what I was like, they may say I was a pain in the butt, which I would respect if they did. Um, but they were really, really easy to live with. So I was very fortunate and lucky because the people I lived with
0: were they were great. Why does Adrian not live with a wide receiver? Cause he was he was roommates with like Barrett Pickering and Will Farniak, wasn't he?
3: Yeah, and Tate Wilderman. <laughs> kind um, of an
0: eclectic group. Why not put him with like Omar Manning or Wando Robinson this year?
3: I remember. Yeah, I mean, I remember last year for our one of our recruiting. So for our recruiting issue of the magazine with the 2019 recruiting class, I did a story on all of the early enrollees and they, they were moving the players around pretty much last minute to make sure that they sort of, uh, if I remember correctly, um, Luke McCaffrey was living with Wandale. Uh, So I I think they were trying to strategically place them so that they got to know each other and were familiar with one another. And yeah, I I don't know why. I guess maybe once they get to an age where ju- being a junior, they're probably like, "All right, Adrian, you can pick who you live with." But I mean, like I said, they have to like each other. If you're gonna, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> well, they apparently do like each other. Scott Frost uh, said as much when he he talked to the media this week. He said, "You know, we can we'll get into this later. We can talk about kind of the value of culture and." the value of leadership and some of those more intangible things on a football team. But he, he he said that the culture is where they want it. Um, and the team is as tight knit a group as they've had since he got here. I, I personally think we talk about culture too much. Um, but I, I can't deny that there are, um, some, intrinsic benefits that go along with having a positive culture, having a team that likes each other, having a team that gets along with each other. I can't talk today, apparently. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll get into that a little bit later, but Aaron, the main reason I have you on the podcast this week, aside from roommate talk, is to talk about um, the secondary, to talk about DiCaprio Boodle, and to talk about backpacks. Um, Backpacks. your, Your feature in the yearbook is about Boodle's backpack, literally but in a bigger sense it's about Boodle's journey it's about um, him being somebody that that had a role had responsibility and literally had a backpack passed on to him and how he's you know navigating handling that responsibility and then passing it on to um, the next group so the yearbook is coming out soon yes the story is really good um, Aaron, you were kind enough to share. Some audio. We we did this last week. Greg gave me some audio from Dale that was a, an interview that he did with Wando's father. Um, and I asked you for the same thing, and you gave me. It's about seven minutes, of the very first conversation you had with DiCaprio about his backpack, and it's kind of your your entryway into this story. And mm-hmm. last week I played the Dale audio at the end. This week we're gonna play it right now, and then we're gonna talk about it when we um, when it's done. So. This is DiCaprio Boodle from Aaron, when was this mid season? It was it was late
3: September of twenty nineteen. So we we'll talk about it afterwards, but I do think it's important for people to know that this was you're you're hearing me start to hear a story come together like in real time. So it yeah, about end of September to show people sometimes how long these yearbook stories are in the works.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, so here is DiCaprio.
3: How did that whole thing like,
2: and the reason I said I don't know what I'm gonna do with this yet is because mm-hmm. I think I might, like Kevin Marisa told me one time like a pair of shoes got passed on him. So I might like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know. But how did that like happen? Was he just graduating? He's like, all right, here's a backpack. Like how did that whole thing come to be?
1: Oh uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, I, remember, I actually remember when he first got the backpack. And uh, you know, I always used to tell him like, Yeah, that's, that's a pretty cool backpack, you know. But uh I was just always wearing my uh, you know, team issue Adidas backpack and stuff like that. So uh, you know, he he was kinda of the guy with the with the swaggy backpack and stuff like that. But um, you know, when he was leaving it was just something that they you know he left me with. And he was just saying, like, you know, he didn't really need it anymore. he passed it down to me as well as, you know, passing down all the knowledge that, that, you know, he he had given me over the years and stuff like that. And basically just told me it was my time to, to, you know, take the reins and and really make this thing happen here. So it was just kind of like a parting gift and also like a passing of the torch kind of.
2: Yeah, because I was going to say that, because having, like, talked to you guys last year about, like, your Twitter war that you get into, it seems like he cares not just about you but just the whole team and seeing it Mm -hmm. progress and it just seems like he's so invested even some guys after they leave it's like they care but they move on to what's next in their Mm -hmm. life he seems very invested in the success of the team but then also specifically you Mm -hmm. um what's that like relationship like like now that he's gone but he's still very very like involved and wanting to know what's going on
1: yeah uh like, he's, he's hard for us, you know, um, really supports all of us. I think that's because of, like, the type of person that he is and the, and the type of relationship that he's built with a lot of the players that are still here. So, um, yeah, it, it always seems like, like you know, he's he's always watching, always, like, very close by. You know, I see tweets after the game of him tweeting during the game, uh, tweeting about different people, not just me, but um, just, like, speaking on our relationship. You know, that's like my brother. I feel like I know him my whole life. And, uh, you know, we, we just shared a lot of moments together and stuff like that. Um, No, it it just goes a long way and I know it's like, it's one of those relationships that, uh, you know, no matter how far apart we are, you know, it's, it's going to last forever. Now
2: with that backpack though, you have worn it to death because Mm -hmm. I remember when you got it, it was like pristine. So you've worn that thing, what, like two years now? Mm -hmm. Like you've, and you just put it through the ringer. Yeah. I mean, like. Is that just daily
1: use? Uh, Yeah, it's just daily use. You know, I, I kind of look at it, a lot of people tell me, like, you know, I need a new backpack. And I actually do have a new backpack coming. But, um, you know, I just look at it as, you know, the the work that I put in, you know, every time I see, um, you know, something that's that's wrong with, the, you know, over the past two years. You know, just the, the work that I put in, I carry this backpack everywhere that I went, you know, f- for the past two years. So uh, I just think of it as, like, you know, just sim- s- symbolic of, like, the work that I put in. And, you know, the places that I've been and the places that I'll go.
2: Are you going to be sad when you retire it for the new one? Or is um,
1: the new one pretty cool? Yeah, the, the new one's pretty cool, but, yeah, I, I, I still feel kind of sad, you know, um, just because just of the meaning that it has behind it. But, um, you know, I won't throw it away. I'll still keep it. But uh, I know I, that kind of sounds like kind of like a hoarder. <laughs> a little I bit, do the same but,
2: thing, so I get yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, I
1: just I keep it just for uh, memory and just to remind me of, you know, um, you know where, where I started from and, you know, I'm in.
2: Yeah, I mean that backpack seen a lot in two years. Mm -hmm. Like, can you even imagine where you were two years ago and like think like two years later all that has changed in that time span? Right,
1: and like like I said, it goes everywhere with me. Like even when I leave Nebraska, like I I make sure I take this bag this bag with me no matter where I go. So,
2: Um, what's the new backpack look like?
1: Uh, well you Uh, you have to see it. All right, fine. When when are you getting it? Um, it it should it it should be coming. um, I had to check the, the mail room in okay. my apartment, too, But it should be coming.
2: Um, when you think about like just something, I know it's sort of symbolical in a way, and I'm making kind of like. But I do think it's cool because I think what prompted me to ask you about this is because like I remember the cleats that Kevin Maurice was wearing. Mm-hmm. He was like, "Well, you know, like you said, my brother gave these to me, and it meant a lot. And so like I wanted to take this thing with me and keep using it." Do you think about when your time at Nebraska is done the legacy that you leave and what you are able to then like maybe not physically pass on but like mm-hmm. the things that you want to pass on to the guys younger
1: Yeah I mean I'm I'm trying to pass on things now you know just trying to teach everybody what I know in the room, you know, Um, and there's a lot of guys that that won't do that because they're scared that, you know, somebody might take their job if they know just as much, but uh, I feel like, uh, you know, knowledge is power and the more that everybody in our room knows that the better we'll be, so I just try to pass on everything right now and hopefully, you know, they'll remember just like how I remember how Chris used to teach me, hopefully they'll remember uh, me teaching them and stuff like that and it'll help them in their game and, you know, hopefully they'll go far too.
2: Do you think you'll be on Twitter like Chris is when your days in Nebraska are done tweeting at people?
1: Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I probably will be. It's just because, you know, just the relationship that I have with the guys, you know, I want to see all those guys win no, no matter how they win. You know, I want to see all those guys win.
2: It feels like one last question over the last two years. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I've been covering this team for a little while. It feels like the defensive backs are just so much closer. It feels like in the last two years just a lot of stuff is just – Mm-hmm. Sort of clicked as far as relationships are concerned. Mm-hmm. What do you credit that to? Um,
1: when Coach Fish first got here, um, you know, he he basically told us if if he ever catches one of us, you know, without another at least one other DB, that you know you would never play for him because he's big on having a tight knit group and uh, you know a, a lot of guys used to do things by themselves before. Um, coach fish came and, and not not because they didn't like each other or stuff like that um but just just out of habit you know and uh at first you know I just i didn't really understand what he was meaning by that but um now as I as I think back to you know all the time that we spent together and just you know it just, it just makes you so much of a, of a of a closer group you know you trust each other outside of football you trust each other inside of football so you know if somebody tells you you know uh I'ma drop curl flat right now, you know. You might look at them kind of crazy if you don't really uh, trust them. But if somebody, but if it's somebody that you trust and, you, and they say I'ma drop curl flat, you know they're gonna drop curl flat. So it just makes your job even better. So you know, if, if a safety gives me a call and, and I look at him and I feel comfortable getting a call from all all of my safeties because I spend so much time with them, you know, and not even just in camp. In camp, that's like forced time, you mm-hmm. know, like like you have to be with these people. But uh, just outside of it, like you know, DB is getting together. Like we went to round one, um, probably like two weeks ago. We we went to round one uh, on a, on a Saturday night, and you know, just have fun. You know, had, had the coaches with us, and you know, we, we were just out there. You know, um, just 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 you know, enjoying each other's company and stuff like that. We had a lot of laughs, and you know, I felt I felt our room get closer there. So uh, you know, we are just gonna continue to to be close and continue to be a tight knit group. Nice.
0: That was good stuff. That was um DiCaprio's always a he's always a really good interview. He's always a fun guy to talk to. He's always engaging. I don't think I've ever had a bad conversation with DiCaprio or an awkward conversation with DiCaprio. I have awkward conversations with other people, partially because <laughs> I am awkward. But um DiCaprio is really good and it and it makes sense that um, you know, he's somebody like Frost said this week is is on their I don't know if they're calling it the Unity Council, but their version of the Unity Council, DiCaprio was on that. Um, he's a, he's a leader in this room, Aaron, Mm -hmm. let's, let's just start. Why did you give me this section of audio of all of the stuff that you had from your reporting? Why was this the, the seven minute segment that you wanted people to hear?
3: Well, I was going to share, I I kept kind of going through maybe something from my conversation with Chris Jones or with DiCaprio's parents or, other conversations I had with DiCaprio, but the reason that I shared this one is because I think sometimes when we're putting stories together, people maybe don't realize sort of the time frame that it, it some of these stories take a long time. they 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 take um, they take a period of time where you're you're trying to figure out what maybe it looks like, how you're going to use this. And so this audio, because you hear me, quite literally telling DiCaprio I don't know how I'm going to use this I don't know what I'm going to do with it and what I meant by that when I was saying it is I, I didn't know if this would be a story that would run on our website if I wanted to do something more and honestly that conversation is what led me to a conversation with Brandon Vogel about I think this might be a yearbook story the more I talked to him and there were some examples of other stories that Brandon had shared with me that kind of fit maybe what I wanted to do and so I started looking at and that's a big piece in in journalism is looking at other examples and seeing if it inspires and I knew I wanted to do something on DiCaprio but just was kind of unsure of what it looked like at that time I I wanted something that would highlight him beyond just what he does on the football field and what what got the whole backpack thing started was he had this backpack and anyone who picks up or gets a copy of the yearbook will see it but it's by the brand spray ground and it it always reminded me it kind of had like a it was a dark it was like a multi um it had like dark brown and light brown but it kind of reminded me a little bit of like a Louis Vuitton print which if anyone is familiar with it that's it just struck me as that but then it had this Um, image on the bottom of a shark mouth that is very reminiscent of world war ii planes and i just loved this backpack but the thing was is over the couple of years he had it and i would always comment on it the backpack was starting to fall apart i mean he wore this thing to death and i finally just wanted to know more about it and he told me well chris jones gave it to me and that just struck me as i don't know just why why did Chris pass it on to you and then I started to like it was like unveiling it, it this is such a bad analogy but it's kind of was like an artichoke like started peeling away at it and you're like wow this story is much more than I expected it to be and that was that he and Chris their friendship went so much deeper than I realized um the the relationship they still have one another with one another is so much deeper than I realized, but it started spiraling into other stories around DiCaprio. And I remember just thinking like, this is what I wanted to share. This is what I want people to see is I want people to see the loyal, um, very attentive to, He he's just very in tune with people. Like he just, he's very aware of how he is perceived and that's part of why he's such a good leader. And so that's why I wanted to share this audio, because you start to hear it come together, but when you finally read the story, you'll be like, wow, this took a lot of turns from this initial audio, and it really did, because this was just like the very basic beginning of the process.
0: I had a follow-up that I was going to ask you, but now I'm stuck on trying to picture in my head what an artichoke looks like. You peel an artichoke?
3: Do I know what an artichoke looks like?
0: I don't. That's what I'm asking. No.
3: yes i do i i i don't know how to i don't know how to cook an artichoke um brandon if you are listening to this and you do um shoot me a recipe or tell me how to do it or literally anyone who's listening i just figured well do you peel it, would it would be, <laughs> be brandon. Yeah.
0: do you peel it i thought you just like chopped it up
3: I'm, i think you can but like you peel it back and like it has like layers
0: oh because you yeah. said like an artichoke and i was like were you beating an onion I, I don't I have the the um uh, eating habits of a fifteen year old with an insane um, metabolism. so
2: I mean outside of, of the basic vegetables,
0: too. yeah, that's that's where I thought you were going with it. <laughs> and now I'm trying to picture what an artichoke looks like, and I can't. Um, so uh,
3: that's funny. no, it um it pick your pick your vegetable, but because, yes, it was like, the the thing the thing that I took away from DiCaprio and I hope that this story shows this is I think that we all have whether it's fans or media we we know who he is and we know we know so much about him from what he has been willing to share but I think there are pieces that like even I didn't realize and there's one piece in there when retelling a story that people knew from his recruitment but to hear it through his eyes and how he reacted to it you suddenly have this moment where you're like wow DiCaprio is really bold like he's a bold like he's got he's he is not afraid to speak up when he feels and so it, it for me when we hear someone like Cam Taylor Britt say oh DiCaprio has no issue telling us like you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that, or like you know what I mean? Like we hear that, but you we don't always see it because that's not how he is at the podium or when he's in interviews. He's he's more um he's more calm and easygoing in that environment. So to hear hear his teammates say, no 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 he's got this kind of edge to him. Um and you hear that in the story and so to see that edge come out is it like I said? It just you start to see layers of him that, like I would say, even in the years that I've covered him, I don't think I fully realized. And I hope people see that about him, which also again makes sense to what someone like Scott Frost is saying. He he is high on their leadership board because of all of those reasons.
0: Yeah, I think leadership is the place to start with DiCaprio because at this point, I mean, he he played a little bit in in twenty seventeen. Um, he was really, really good in 2018. He didn't have the interceptions, which which Chris Jones um, gives mm-hmm. him gut off about all the time. But um, he was really, really good to the point where teams just stopped throwing at him in, in 2019. And, and that was, um, you know, Lamar Jackson had a really good year, but he had a really good year in part because he just kept getting targeted because nobody wanted to throw it to Caprio Boodle. Um, Boodle, you know, aside from just getting his hands on a few more interceptions this season. Um, there's, I, I don't know a whole lot of areas in which his game can grow. So for him this year, it kind of feels like um, him being kind of the flag bearer for that room and a guy that that sets it up for when he leaves. And, and he talks about this in the audio that you shared with me that people just listened to, and I thought that was one of the more interesting parts. He makes the comment of um, there were guys— who were afraid to teach because they were afraid if they show a guy too much, then he's going to take their job. Um, He's obviously not afraid of doing that.
3: Mm -mm. And he learned that from other people like Chris Jones. I think, I think hearing and learning about his relationship and his friendship with Chris really highlighted for me, one, I, I learned more about Chris than I think I even realized in the time that I covered him, but then also I, I started to see the examples that had been set and it goes beyond, I guess, even like when I think when I'm saying this now, it goes beyond Chris, but his dad and his mom, this is what mattered to them. They wanted to raise their sons to be respectful and they wanted to raise their sons to be hard workers and to put the time in and to really, to really give their due diligence to everything. And so, Um, and not to give it all away, but here's when DiCaprio, he had played pop Warner football wasn't for him when he was growing up. And so when he decided in middle school that it was time, he wanted to get back into it. His dad really looked at it and said, you know what, if this is what you're going to do, um, you're going to have to run track as well. Like we're going to learn this work ethic here as well. And basically random to the point of tears. But like you saw like that was so important to his dad and his family to teach them, that, that sense of just that work ethic that you've got to put the time and the energy and if you want to be great. And I, I think that's why when you see DiCaprio and we've seen this all along where he he's not afraid to pass what he has learned on to others and he's not afraid to let others shine. It's because that has been instilled in him his whole life. Be respectful, do the right thing, work hard and make the people around you better. And... I think that's why when you ask people to talk about him and just to share anything that they're willing to on him, you don't find many people. I mean, I didn't find any who aren't willing to talk about him and share just numbers of stories that could fill as Brandon said in our initial like announcement for this, it could fill a yearbook on its own.
0: Outside of Chris Jones, what was an an interesting story that you got back from somebody on Boodle?
3: Um, so uh, I don't want to give away too many of the people that did respond, but one that was really interesting. So Brian Stewart, who was um, one of, he was on staff at the time when uh, Boodle was being recruited. He's the one who saw him at the Miami satellite camp alongside Mark Banker. And um, to hear his perspective on that day and ultimately that, that satellite camp is what led to his offer from Nebraska. Um, to hear his like his very quick perspective on just what what he saw from him, and to know that like again same thing he walked into a camp that day without knowing anything about DiCaprio, didn't even know who he was, but he instantly became the person he was calling on because if he asked DiCaprio go show this, he did it. If he asked him hey can you do this, DiCaprio did it. I mean he he saw a hard worker, and then he saw someone who was very very fast. So. I thought that piece of his story was really cool, especially when you think of like the staffs that have changed since Brian Stewart recruited him. And you think like, okay, if I'm reaching out to somebody, are they going to be willing to talk about him now? No hesitation. Absolutely no hesitation. So I thought that was pretty cool because he's clearly made an impression. He makes an impression on those who come, who meet him and come into contact with him. And I think that's why when you ask people, hey, you want to talk about him? They're like, Yep, absolutely. So the the satellite camp in twenty fifteen and to hear Brian Stewart add to that story was really cool because he provided a perspective that you know, I, I think I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known had he not been willing to, to speak about it. And I don't know. That whole satellite camp is so fun in hindsight. So I hope people enjoy that section because it's really fun in hindsight to see just what that day ended up being and what it ultimately resulted in for Nebraska.
0: A uh, three-year starter, and yeah. a guy who was um, who was a, a rotation piece in in that 2017 season, and probably I don't know, probably their best defensive back mm-hmm. even in that season or or if not their best, one of their most consistent. Um, and in talking with DiCaprio, what kind of sense do you get of how he's approaching this senior season for, for both the defensive backroom as a whole, but then for, for him individually?
3: Well, it's really interesting. It's so hard because we don't, I guess, know what this season will necessarily look like. We, as, we are operating under the assumption that everything will start on time and will go. So it's, it's hard. It's hard to like, really, I think, know what this season has in store and DiCaprio is aware of that, but he, he's not looking at it any differently than he would his job. He wants to leave Nebraska better than it. Like he wants to leave Nebraska in the best possible place that he can. So I, I think his goal for this season is really to set that not only the defensive backs but the team up for success as much as he possibly can, uh, and I I think for him he really sees he's really sees the younger defensive backs. So I think he looks at it, you know, a can especially Cam Taylor Britt of all people is sort of like, how do I set him up? How do I make him the best possible? Athlete he can be. So that way when I'm gone, like the I'm handing the reins on to him and he's doing it. And I I'm excited to see that leadership and that relationship between him and the younger players continue to grow. Um but I think his goal for himself is obviously, obviously he knows Chris Jones and about everyone else. I mean, heck, Travis Fisher has said it enough um, that he needs to, he needs to get some picks. Uh, especially because he has a goal. He wants, he wants a shot in the NFL. He really does. And he, he, you know, I think anyone who looks at him and looks at what he's done would see a very, very, they see a good player. They see somebody who is able to make a play when he needs to make it. But the thing is, is he needs to start getting those picks. That's going to make, that's going to be a difference maker because he's fast He's um, not afraid to put himself where he needs to be, but he needs to start hanging on to the ball when given the opportunity. And I think that's going to be a big thing for him this year is just really making sure that he adds adds some picks to the stat line for himself because when it comes to the NFL, that's one of the things they're going to be looking for. And so I I don't want to make it sound like he's only using the season, like he's not looking at the season of how he can be for the team, but I'd say from a personal standpoint, he definitely wants to set himself up for what's next and what's next. He hopes would be a shot in the NFL. So I, I will be, I will be eager to see uh, if that the work he does in that front. And then I will be eager to see Chris Jones's uh, response and tweets about it. If especially <laughs> when he finally gets that pick.
0: <laughs> I, I really wonder what the, the secondary is going to look like this season. And we can talk about this now, I guess um, w- without Lamar Jackson, They're having to replace a starter in the secondary, but you know, they have obviously DiCaprio, they have Deontay Williams and and Markel Dismuke at safety, and they have a lot of young guys that they feel good about, but in the front seven, they're replacing an entire defensive line and the best secondary can only be so good if they're having to hold up in pass coverage for five, six, seven seconds. If Nebraska can't get a pass rush, then it, it severely limits the ceiling for the secondary. How do you feel about this defensive back group as a whole? Because, like we have talked about, they have leadership. They have veteran guys. They have guys with experience. They have a, a kind of um, multi-tool guy in Cam Taylor Britt. They have guys behind that that are young and promising. Are, are you optimistic about what this secondary can be? Do you feel like this defense can be one that that is anchored by a really good stout secondary that makes things easier on the front seven? Or are you uh, nervous about a maybe taking a step back in the front seven and that impacting the Nebraska secondary?
3: You know, I, I think that defensive line piece is going to be so vital in this. I think we – so I, I, I know I've mentioned this before, but it, it has just stuck with me since he said it. But when Jay Moore talked to Corey McEwen for – the more to It podcast. And they talked about that 2007 season when the defensive line had to completely start over. So 2006, that defensive line all graduated, went to the NFL. Um, and so they had to start over and that was a huge piece of the problems. I mean, it wasn't the only problem, but it was a big piece of it. It was, it was a, it was a defense that was going from having a very strong defensive line, um, or stronger defensive line to uh, really just fumbling their way through things. And that put a lot of pressure on other parts of the defense. So things just fell apart. I don't know if I, it's so hard to think that that will be the case in 2020, but that defensive line is an area of concern because if that defensive line is struggling, it is going to put the pressure on your secondary. Now I do think I think losing Lamar is a big deal, but I think I'm I lean more optimistic than I do pessimistic with this group. I even think if the defensive line struggles, I think there's enough talent in the defense with the defensive backs to hold their own at least as much as they possibly can. I think there would be some hiccups if the defensive line can't hold up and that pass rush isn't there, but I. I I think they're, like I said, I think there's enough talent here, especially when you're looking at the return of Deontay Williams. Like there's a lot of positives on this, in this defensive backs group. And I think Travis Fisher will have them ready. It'll just be interesting to see what happens, I guess, with the defensive line. Um, But I think they'll hold their own as much as they possibly can. So like I said, I lean more optimistic with this group than I do pessimistic. I, I think I think we've kind of been leaning pretty more on the optimistic side, side overall, even since like the beginning of the year. I mean, not having spring football definitely, you know, changes the conversation a little bit because we don't know what that line looks like. But I, I think there is a lot, I, again, I'll say it one last time. There's a lot of talent on the defensive backs. That talent should hopefully be able to carry enough of its weight, even if things around it are not as strong.
0: Yeah, you, you talk about the NFL and and I wonder kind of what the NFL future holds for DiCaprio Boodle and Nebraska as a, as a team last year, they gave up uh, the fewest passing touchdowns that they've given up since they entered the Big Ten. They only gave up 14. they never given up fewer than 15 in the Big Ten. Um, and, and yet Lamar goes undrafted. And right. Nebraska has kind of been bitten by this perception that because their teams haven't been very good, that means they don't have any good players. And, you know, that was something that, that the guys that went to the combine had to kind of push back against. And And, you know, it's one of those things where you don't want them to have to go through it, but you hope that this is like the last group of guys. I think Frost has this group and then one other set of seniors and then all of the Riley kids will have come out of the program. That's not to say that all of Riley's kids were bad and the reason that Nebraska lost. But um, after this year, it's mostly going to be Frost's guys. Maybe the perception changes. I hope DiCaprio isn't kind of snake-bitten by this, um, in, in a lot of instances, unfair perception that because Nebraska as a team was bad for years on years that every single player that comes out of the program is bad. I I think I think Boodle could be a a really good corner. Um, You know, I know like Travis Fisher talks about this. Everybody talks about having big corners and and Lamar being that prototypical size, but Fisher points to cornerbacks that are starting in the NFL that are that are under six feet tall, and and Boodle is a guy who um, can certainly hold his own, regardless of of the matchup. It'll be it'll be interesting to see what they're able to do. This season, you know, I, I've been looking at Texas A&M in 2019 and comparing it to Nebraska in, in 2020. In the sense that A&M played five teams in the top 10, um, which is just a brutal schedule. They went eight and five, and and so seven and five going to a bowl game. I'm Pretty sure it was seven and five going to a bowl game. Yeah, because they beat Oklahoma State in the bowl game. Um, so seven and five after their season, but they played just an absolutely brutal schedule. And so, like, I keep – since Frost talked to us on that Zoom call and he was talking about their culture and things, I've been thinking, like, what is the value that 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 brings to a team? What is is the actual value? Because obviously it makes things easier um, for guys to – to come to work every day and do their job. It's easier if the team gets along with each other. It's easier for the coaching staff if, you know, like they, like Frost says they have horizontal leadership instead of vertical leadership. Like I get all of the, it just makes it a a, a more positive environment and an environment in which you can, you can succeed in. But what are the, the on field benefits of having a good culture or a team that likes each other? And, I'm sitting and I'm thinking about it and I'm wondering, like, maybe Nebraska, because they could be in a situation where they play five top 10 teams. You know, I don't know what's going to happen with Penn State and Iowa and Minnesota and Wisconsin this year, but I I wouldn't put it past any of them to be sitting in the top 10 um, late in the season when Nebraska plays them. So it it could be maybe not to the degree that Texas A&M schedule was, but it could be just a brutal stretch. To close the year, and we've talked about that a bunch, but Nebraska could also be a good team. I think. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, I think so. It's interesting with the whole culture discussion because one thing I've noticed as far as responses to what Frost said about um, the culture being where he wants it to be is people are like, "Great, you better be, you better show on the football field then." And I don't see anything wrong with that response people would basically be saying awesome love it prove it and I think at some point you do because you can only say the culture is exactly where I want it so for so long until people are like basically put up and shut up like shut up like put up and shut up whatever the correct direction of that statement is but it just I, I think I think you have a team that has the potential i okay let's just pretend that nebraska every single college football team is able to play a full schedule this year we're just going to assume they'll, ha- they'll have the ability to play 12 games um not even counting bowl season championship games nothing like let's not even go that far we're just assuming do i think nebraska is a 12-0 team no do i think nebraska is a 10-2 and team no i i I'm somewhere around like I think this is like a seven and five type of season for Nebraska which I know is just probably making somebody who really wants it more than that like just pound their head into a wall but I, I think I think it just it's just so hard I think Nebraska needs to take steps forward and I think that a, a seven and five eight and four is a step forward as much as maybe it doesn't feel that way but I mean, if you feel the culture is there, it should th- – that should be very attainable, I'd assume. Like, you'd, you'd assume that's attainable if, if things are where you want them from a culture perspective because you'd assume that means people are going to work hard. They're going to play for each other. They're going to play as, you know, as hard as they possibly can. But it's kind of hard when we haven't seen any of it to know. And Maybe the – Yeah.
0: <laughs> maybe the only thing that that gets you, a, a team that likes each other and, and a team that has – a, a good vibe in the locker room. Maybe the only thing that gets you is focus in practice week in and week out, day in and day out. And even that would be good enough because, you know, I was talking to somebody about what our schedule looks like um, as, as football writers in, in the middle of a football season. And then I was like, Thursday for us, my cat is freaking out. I don't know if you can hear her, but she is literally freaking out. I don't know what's happening. Um, I I was talking to somebody. Okay, good. She's freaking out, jumping on everything and scratching everything up. Um, she has
3: some opinions on the season.
0: Apparently. Um, my wife took the dog with her and went back to Oklahoma. And so I, I haven't been able to see my dog in like three weeks now. And I am stuck with the cat and I'm definitely a dog person. So (laughs) this has been an interesting relationship building time for us. Um, but but if you have a team that's that's one hundred percent focused in in um, attacking the task at hand day in and day out in practice, that's something that Nebraska didn't have last year. Um, yeah. And so so maybe if that is your only benefit, I think that could still be a positive. And I don't think you're going to catch a ton of flack for saying that seven and five is is a a good bar to set it at because I think a lot of people are at like. We'll just go six and six and make a bowl game, please. <laughs> um, well, that's not almost, to even
3: I do want not to not even though, talk
0: about if they if they play a bowl game in December, because you know, that's an entirely separate conversation that we're probably gonna have to have um in the coming weeks. But I cut you off. What would you like to say?
3: I just wanna say though, like I think it's really important with this culture discussion. And I have no issue with Frost talking about the culture discussion. I think it's fine. I think that that's part of being a coach is you're gonna talk about that very thing and you're gonna it's going to say what it means for your team and what it doesn't. And I don't have an issue with that. I don't have an issue with the fans that are basically saying, great. We want to see that result in wins on the field. I just think it's important that we kind of also all take this with a grain of salt that like to a degree, what Frost is saying is a level of coach speak. Um, That is coaches are not going to come out and be like, yeah, I I hate it. Like my team sucks. Like they, they don't have any, they don't like each other. I think it's important to take things with a, 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 Degree like take some things with a grain of salt, um, because the one I wanted to point to is the 2017 season. That season obviously was Mike Riley's last. You had it was four and eight. Um, it was really easy for everyone to point to that season and kind of like assume that on so many levels from the coaching staff to the players, but especially with like the players like not liking each other, and some of that was because. They were like, you would hear some of that, but I did talk with players that were a part of that team and they were like, we didn't dislike each other. We had good rapport. We had what we thought was a good culture, but we all kind of knew what was happening. And we. it was really hard to also have a lot of this noise around and to kind of keep like the high level of, you know, camaraderie when you know what everyone is saying around you and you kind of know what people are saying about you. So I think it's important to remember, too, that we have to kind of take these things, like I said, with a grain of salt, because it's we never fully understand, as we're not physically there, what a locker room looks like, what the friendships look like, what that culture really is, what it really means. We're taking the word of the coaches, we're taking the word of the team, and you hope that that translates on the field, but you don't always know. And so I'm not saying that 2020 is going to be like 2017. I'm just using that season as an example where they didn't go into that season thinking they had bad rapport with each other and had a bad culture. It just didn't work out. So I I think I just use it as like an opportunity to say, it's good that Frost feels like things are where he wants them. And I think it's fine that people are still a little hesitant to want to see it play out on the field.
0: Well, what you're saying is that to have a winning culture, you have to win. And you can have a winning culture in the off season when nobody's playing games and everybody's winning, winning the off season. But once the season starts and you start losing games and and all of uh, the the extra noise comes into play, then it's it's easy to kind of chip away at this pie in the sky culture that you have. And um you know, 2018, the season begins and Nebraska is not where they want to be and and you get to that Purdue game and they look like a completely undisciplined team as as Frost said after the game. Uh, And then a couple weeks later, they're going toe-to-toe with Ohio State because the players didn't change, but the culture got a little bit better because guys, you know, like I wrote for the yearbook a year ago, guys said enough is enough and they kind of did what Frost asked of them Mm -hmm. and they created this environment within the team that uh you know x wasn't going to be acceptable and y was the baseline standard that you had to hit otherwise you weren't going to play and they go into 2019 and they start the season uh okay and then it starts to fall apart and then as the losses start piling up then you start hearing more and more about how guys aren't bought in so it's easy to have a good culture when you're not playing when you're winning the off season, when you're winning those those weight room workouts. Um, But once the season starts it, it, you have to find a way to win. Otherwise, you know, if you're starting four and one, five and one every year, and then closing out with as many losses as Nebraska has been closing out seasons with consecutively, it's, it's just hard to keep positive vibes in a locker room. So that'll be, that'll be the test this year.
3: That winning piece is so important. And I've had this conversation with a number of people. I think, it's important, and I, this is not me discrediting what the staff did at Central Florida at all. That what they did was amazing, um, but I think it's important to to note that UCF, when they came in, while they had had such an atrocious season before they showed up, they went, they didn't win a single game. Um, they they that team still knew how to win. There were seniors on that team that had been to what bowl, like a pretty major bowl game. Just a couple of years prior to that, so like knowing how to win is so much a part of the culture too. So I think what I take away from what Frost said is he feels like, at least in my opinion, they've got the like camaraderie piece of the culture figured out. Like they 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 like each other, they're working hard, all of that is great. The off season, like you just said, all of that stuff is working. The part of the culture I still am waiting to see is the winning side of it. They have to learn how to win, and I think even like we've heard from like if I'm if I'm not. If I'm misremembering, you can tell me. But I'm pretty sure that like that's essentially what like people like even like Mick Sultenberg had said is like needing to win. That that knowing what it's like to win goes a long way. It builds confidence. It changes the attitude of a team. And Nebraska, unfortunately, is just not there. It's probably a big piece of why in some games where it gets close and like that's the moment where you have to like settle in and really put the like put that like put your nose to the ground and get working things don't always work for them so i I think i think i i think that's the piece here when i see people who are like yep we want to see it on the field that's why i'm okay with them saying that because they're not saying frost is wrong that culture as far as the team liking each other working hard all of that is can be true but now they need to put that culture into motion to make it a winning culture because if you don't know how to win you're you're gonna still be in the same situation every single year
0: uh Mick said it Luke said it Mulberry yep. said it in 2019 and uh DiCaprio Boodle said it so
3: I see I knew I just like I like, it was having a moment I'm like I'm pretty sure like Mick like has talked to you about that and like mm-hmm. Luke and yeah long story short um winning is important and uh, you know what Trey Neal has talked about it as well too and that is somebody who has seen it from both sides having been at Central Florida and in Nebraska. It's amazing how far that goes.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, Aaron, you've got work to do. I'll I'll let you get back to it. Thank you for joining the podcast and and talking about teammates and backpacks and culture and and all kinds of fun things.
3: Hey, I will say anyone who gets the yearbook, you'll also see DiCaprio's new backpack because he had to finally order one because despite his best efforts, the zipper on the old one finally broke to the point he was going to just lose papers and anything that was left in his backpack and he has a new one and it it uh speaks pretty highly i think of what he is hoping for himself where it's it it has stacks of money and caution tape that say um keep hustling i think he says there's
0: there's a lot going on in his backpack the the new one there's a lot going on
3: but you know what? He's he's just telling people where he's at. He just is. He's just gonna keep on hustling. He wants. He's got big dreams. So if if nothing else, that should excite Nebraska fans.
0: Yeah, sure. Make sure you're reading hailvarsity.com. Make sure you're listening to Aaron plugged it uh, a while ago. The Jay Moore podcast, the More to It podcast. Make sure you're listening to the Hail Varsity Radio Show, uh, and and follow us on all all of the social media channels. All of social media.
3: All of the socials:
0: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Do we have Snapchat?
3: We do, but we don't use it. You can follow it. Maybe we'll maybe we'll bring it back at some point. But haven't all the cool kids moved to TikTok?
0: Do we have a TikTok?
3: We do, but we haven't we haven't used it yet either. But we, we have, have one. Yet. We do. What? We haven't used it yet.
0: We should we not try. have one.
3: <laughs> you know. You
0: will regret saying that, like, that
3: when I turn it into the coolest hippest thing that people have ever seen. I
1: think
0: that you use the phrase "hippest thing." I think that already set you back a few paces. Oh,
3: so. I know. I'm I'm super. I'm super with it.
0: Okay, then, um, Aaron. Thank you for for coming on the podcast. Everybody, make sure that you get the yearbook. That you read Aaron's story. That you read everything else in the yearbook. And we will talk to you
1: next week.